today. Uh, <clears throat> I enjoyed the songs. Uh, that last one I've, I've loved since I was in college. I used to be able to get all the words in there, <laughs> but now I start letting them go and I'll just sing some other parts. Uh, anyway, thank you all for the singing today. Uh, I want to talk with you for a little while this morning about some uh, often overlooked sins. And I'm going to begin by reading a passage with you. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I will start in verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light and darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are all the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they'll be my people. Therefore, come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord. Do not, watch, do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. For I will be to you a father, and you shall be to me sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I appreciate the, the, the intent, I guess, of so many of the sermons here by Trent or Mike or even myself and trying to point us in positive directions. We, we need that. We need the encouragement to, to be children of God in deed and in truth and just to serve Him for all we're worth. And, and we need this impetus provided to us. But sometimes I think we overlook some of the simple sins of life. Why do we do this? And I think there are reasons for neglecting the, the sins that, that impress every one of us so much. And I think one of the biggest reasons we do this is the ignorance of God's righteousness. I don't mean God's law. I mean who God is. When we make mistakes, when we sin, it is an affront to the being of God, to the glory that God exhibits throughout the world. We fail to see this glory. We fail to see how we diminish that glory by the mistakes of our life. I think it's just a basic problem of human beings because we also fail to see the importance that we have on each other by the mistakes of our life, by the sins of our life how far-reaching these consequences can be. And I just want to bring us back to, to earth a little bit this morning and talk with you about some simple sins that, that sometimes we overlook. And I'm going to begin in the book of 1 Timothy, the chapter 6. And just notice with you verse 4 of this chapter. <clears throat> He's talking about in later times, people are going to have problems with God. Uh, the, and the person that does, verse 4, is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. Uh, my, the older translations use the word evil surmisings. And I just find that an interesting kind of concept that, that, that I don't know that it's always emphatically wrong when we guess. And evil surmise is really just a guess about somebody. And I'll just kind of explain to you what I mean by that. In the, uh, the book of Luke, the second chapter, Mary and Martha and 
uh, Jesus and Joseph, and uh, not Mary and Martha, Mary and Joseph, have been to Jerusalem to worship, and they've been there with their family, and they'll do this a couple of times a year, the long uh, journey, it'll be a week's walk or maybe two weeks to get down there. And, and as they're going back to their home, supposing Jesus to be with them, they go about a day's journey or maybe a day and a half's journey and they miss Jesus. They thought he was with them. Have you ever left one of your kids at the church building? We did once. There were several families coming to our house for lunch and our third son was playing hide and seek in the basement. The building was fairly large and had a big basement down there and he was hiding too well. And I'd looked through the first floor and he wasn't there and I walked down in the basement and just kind of looked through the classrooms and he wasn't there. So we supposed that he had gone with my brother and sister-in-law who were coming to our house for lunch that day and we got home and he wasn't there and nobody had cell phones back then. Well, where's Alan? I, I don't have a clue. If anybody can get in trouble, well, it wouldn't necessarily be him. It could be any, any one of them. It, it was kind of like here, our kids... And I'll just suggest to the adults that when the amen is said afterwards this morning that you stay where you are for a few minutes because the kids are going to run to the back and they're going to play and they'll have a good time and some of them will get hurt and somebody will take care of them and, and there are usually enough adults back there to kind of monitor the situation. But it's just the way kids are. Supposing him to be with them, they've gone a day or a day and a half. Used to on a Sunday, we lived in North Carolina, my grandma and grandpa lived with us. Grandma had 13, well, grandma and grandpa both had 13 kids. 13. And every one of them was married. And every one of them had kids. And some of the kids had kids. And there's nothing unusual for there to be 50 people at our house on a Sunday. Every Sunday. And everybody that came brought food. And we had an upstairs and we had a basement. It wasn't an elaborate house, maybe 15, 1,600 square feet altogether in the three floors. They didn't have a clue where I was. And probably didn't care immediately. The adults were having a good time. Well, supposing Jesus to be, they, they just walked. And you'll find the same thing, by the way, in John the 20th chapter. <clears throat> Jesus has been buried. He has risen from the dead. And Mary came to the garden to look for him, well, to anoint him and things like that. And supposing, and she saw this man coming, and supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, where have you put the body of Jesus? Supposing him to be the gardener. We don't have a clue who he is. It's kind of difficult to see through tears. It's kind of difficult to see something that we really don't expect to see. I mean, Jesus has died, and he said he's going to come back from the dead, but we don't really believe that. I just came to mourn him. Where would you put him? Supposing him to be dead. Supposing this to be the gardener. Now these are not evil surmises. These are just guesses that every one of us does in life. I think we all speculate and we all wonder. And sometimes we do this in the extreme. And sometimes our surmisings are evil. Not always, but we'll hear something exciting about somebody. And we don't really know whether it's true or not. But we've got to tell somebody. 
about it. I heard. I heard that they had an affair. I heard that he or she committed a crime. And one of us will say, you know, that really doesn't surprise me. I thought all along there's just something strange about that person. I knew that's the kind of person they were. And here we go in our surmisings. And this kind of surmising, I believe, is evil. We'll run somebody down without a clue what we're really doing. And you understand that when you say words against somebody like that, you can never take them back. And I know some stories about so many people. Don't you? That's a good one. And I can't wait to tell somebody. And we can destroy a life and we can destroy a reputation and we can destroy a church if we're not careful. All because we heard or we thought or we supposed. And this kind of surmising, I believe, is evil. You'll find in the book of 1 Corinthians 13 this great explanation of what love really is. Love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't lift itself up too high. doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. does not behave itself unseemly. He goes on down and says, finally, love hears all things, believes all things, endures all things. And I love the next verse, first part of verse 8. <clears throat> because he says, this love never fails. He doesn't just say, love never fails. You're aware that in other languages there are so many words to describe things, and there is in the English language as well. There are a number of words in the Greek language in which the Bible is written to define love. There's agape, and there's phileo, and there's storge, and all of these words to, to define the kinds of loves. And I've mentioned to you before, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, and he's very scholarly in his work. I think he does a beautiful job. But he'll say in this book that each of these loves contains within itself the seed of its own destruction. That if we just have phileo love, and you understand friendship love, the affection of a friend means more to us than truth itself. And we'll do almost anything for a friend. Because we love them, we'll allow them to do any kind of unrighteousness. And we won't say anything to, us, to them about it because they're our friend. And that's not real love. And in verse 8, Paul says, this love never fails. That's not phileo, that's agape. It's not storge because that kind of love will fail too. It's not eros, another kind of love, because that love will fail this love never fails is literally what it says in that passage. This love never fails. This love is not going to be guilty of evil surmising. It just won't. And here's what we need to be as children of God. We need to give everybody a benefit of the doubt. We need to be willing to stand for people, for friends, for family, for church members. Because that's what God expects of us. This Next sin that we often overlook is found in the book of Romans, the 13th chapter. Verse 13, and this is an old-fashioned rendering. It's what the King James uses. He uses the word chambering. Now, let me read this to you from the New American Standard. 
Let us behave ourselves properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Here's what goes on in the world today. Uh, and I realize that a lot of the world is really good. They're, they're wonderful people all around us, and they'll manifest all kinds of goodness in their life. But sexual sins have betrayed us constantly through the generations, through the centuries. And, and you all know people. You all are people who are impacted by this. Carousing, chambering rather, it originally meant literally what happens in a chamber. When the doors are shut, nobody can see. Evil happens in the darkness, not in the daylight. And that's kind of an antiquated expression, isn't it? Because now things like this happen in the daylight. We just brazenly manifest ourselves in what used to be done behind closed doors, chambering. When God isn't watching, when is it that God's not watching? God's always watching. And we just don't realize it. First, first Corinthians. Chapter 6. Let me read with you verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is done outside the body, but the immoral man sins, sins against his own body. Now, skip down with me to chapter 7. Now, concerning the things about which we wrote to you, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each one of you is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husbands. I get the idea from chapter 7 that God understands human beings. He, he made us. He, he put within us desires, hunger, a physical hunger. I mean... It's coming on on toward lunch now, isn't it? And it's kind of natural. I feel a little bit weak. I think I'll make it through the lesson. And probably the 20 or 30 minutes afterwards when we visit with each other, well, I just can't wait to sit down to lunch. I don't have a clue where we're going. Don't have a clue what we're going to eat. But something will be there. I just know it will. God placed within us a sense of desire, a hunger. Physically, for nourishment. Well, sexually as well, for a husband or a wife. And this is a God-given desire. But he means for us to control this and not to do things behind closed doors that we don't want the world to know about. I don't want the world to know about our sexual appetites, what they're really like. Everyone is different. And Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 7 and explains this difference to us. But I don't want us to be guilty of the immorality that is so prevalent in the world today. The older translations in verse 18 say flee fornication. Run away from it. And I think that's good advice that we should all follow. Foolish jesting. The book of Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 4. And I, I think the apostle fairly well explains this. Galatians. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 4. 
There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And you understand there that laughter is not sinful. We had a, an event that happened a number of years ago at a church where I was preaching where a woman came forward one Sunday morning and she was in tears. Forgive me because I laughed too hard yesterday. She was with her church family. And we were all having a good time in a good way. We were laughing and cutting up and just, I don't think being stupid, but being silly for sure, not all the time, but some of the time. And she just felt like she laughed too hard. And I felt sorry for her because somebody had told her not long ago that laughing too hard is a sin. No. I mean, look around here. We've got some people that are surely sinful if laughter is sinful. We enjoy life. We enjoy living this life. But sometimes it can be. I think what he's talking about here is locker room humor, bathroom humor. You kind of understand some of what I'm talking about here. I, I worked with a guy years ago who had traveled with a circus, and he was hilarious. He had heard every joke that had ever been told, and he could remember them. I can hear a wonderful story, and I can't remember it five seconds after it's told. I'll miss the punchline up. I'll do something. This guy could remember every story, and you'd laugh your fool head off at it, except once in a while he would tell a story that I would think, I can't say that. I just can't say that. In a locker room, it's not all bad. Coach will talk to the team and the team will respond, but every now and then, you'll get a bunch of guys off in a corner talking about the girlfriends. Same thing's true in a women's locker room. Every now and then, they'll get off by themselves talking about the boys and what they did. And we'll find humor in that. In this filthy, humorous language. And I want you to understand that some of the worst stories I've ever heard told, I've heard women tell. We normally think of the women as being pure and beautiful and things like that. And, and we don't think of this ugliness that sometimes presses them like it does the boys. And I wonder how much laughter is acceptable in a case like that. Because in Ephesians 5 verse 11 it says, Do not participate with them in their unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather even expose them. And I think about this guy that used to tell the hilarious stories. And I would choke back laughter. But I don't believe I ever reproved him for doing that. And I should have. I don't always do right. You don't either. But this foolish jesting, I think we just need to cut that out. It is to me indicative of heart trouble. I want to turn with you to the book of Matthew, the 15th chapter. This passage in Proverbs says, keep your heart with all diligence. 
for out of it are the issues of life. But I think Jesus really talks to us here. Matthew 15, verse 18. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and slanderers. These things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. He, he's looking at human beings, I think, figuratively here. And he says, we know better than to think this way because if we think this way, pretty soon we're going to say this. We're going to act out our, our fantasies, our, our evil thoughts, our schemes, whatever it may be. And we just need to stop with the foolish jesting. These things defile me and you and everybody that hears it come out of my mouth. We need to be careful about our life. Hatred. The book of Galatians, the fifth chapter. And in this translation, he doesn't really use the word hatred. But I think that's a word that fairly well sums up what is going on here. Galatians chapter 5, begin with me in verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're, they're obvious, which are these immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now beginning here. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings. I just summarize all of that with, with the word hatred. You could use the word bitterness there. I think it would work real well. And we'll listen to the Lord talk about things like this and we'll say, yeah, but, but what if they deserve it? What if they've hurt me? What if they've done something to me? It doesn't matter. What somebody else does, hatred is not to be a part of my life. And I think most of us struggle with this one whether we realize it or not, because I do. There is someone, I'll almost guarantee you, who has impacted your life negatively enough, long enough, that you want to hate them. Bitterness, this word that we read here, is an outgrowth of the animosity that I feel toward people. And maybe the feeling is real. Most of my feelings are real. And it's not that we can't have it. It's how long do we let it fester within us? Because I read in passages like Matthew 23, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 23, verse 34. I wanted to see if I'm getting this big enough for you to read. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's looking out at this crowd of people who have crucified him. You understand the, the passion that Christ went through. Arrested in the garden. There's no sense of justice here. And this has to offend him personally. They spit on him. They beat him with the fists. They hang a crown of thorns on his head. 
they nail him, drive spikes through his hands and feet, and crucify him. Did they understand what they were doing? Yes, they did. They knew full well they were killing the Son of God. They did it for envy, but they did it. But I don't understand that they understood totally what was going on here. This is God. And for anybody ever to go to heaven, Jesus had to die on the cross. It's a part of God's plan. I don't care. I'm so mad at Jesus. I want to kill him. And I want to do it in the worst possible way. And they did. And Jesus prayed for them. I don't suggest to you that God is going to forgive them for what they did. This is Jesus' human thought. Forgive them for they don't understand. And I see the same thing in the book of Acts, the seventh chapter. Stephen has been is being stoned to death. And I don't know how long that took. For them to find a rock big enough to hit him with, to hurt him with, to break an arm or a leg or a skull. And he looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus standing by the right hand of God. And he says, lay not this sin to their charge. They understood what they were doing. They knew full well Stephen was going to die. They meant for him to die. But I really don't think they understood what was going on. This is a part of God's plan. Many of the struggles we go through, I, I don't know what's part of God's plan and what's not. But I do know that we're going to suffer persecution. Trent read the passage to us a few moments ago. We will, as children of God. We're, we're going to suffer for being God's child. And I'm going to be able to pray like Jesus did and like Stephen did for our enemies. And I, let me tell you, I have enemies as well as anybody else. Some people that I've spent thoughts, I've spent I don't know how much time, usually lying in bed night before I go to sleep, I sure would like to kill that man. I could do it with a rifle. I could get 100 yards away with a telescopic sight, and I could kill him. Or some of them I don't want to kill. I just want to hurt them real bad. And like I say, I don't know how long God's going to give me to get over my anger. But I think I have to do it. To be able to pray for my enemies. Remember Jesus saying that? Pray for your enemies, those who despitefully use you and persecute you. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. And I have to learn to do that. And then I have to forget that I've forgiven them. Because we can dredge it up again and again and again. Oh, I'd love to hurt that person. And those feelings are real. And I've got to get over them. Because my enemies have souls too. 
and I want their soul to be saved like I want our souls to be saved. And in order for that to happen, I have to behave like the Son of God. And here to me are just a few of these sins that we often overlook because we don't understand the, the consequences of what it's like to impact the lives of other people. You're here this morning and you're not a child of God. We want to extend to you the invitation of our Savior. You can be baptized this morning for the remission of your sins. And all of these sins and everything else we do will be covered by the blood of the Lamb as we are repentant before God. And if you need to be baptized today, we'll encourage you to respond. If you need the, the prayers of the saints on your behalf for anything in your life that's amiss, we'll pray for you. If you need to respond to the gospel this morning, would you come while we stand and sing?